He's good. He's doing well. Yeah. He's not. He's not doing so well. Yeah. Boss. He loves being in a place where he could not be doing well. And it's like, amen. This morning, I want to speak to you about Holy Spirit baptism. Hey. You. Hey. All right. There will be a practical application. There will be a, 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 a test at the end. <laughs> so take notes. Um, no, but interestingly, I've just had a number of conversations with people over the last couple of weeks um, around the idea of Holy Spirit baptism, the idea of the gift of tongues and those sorts of things. And so I just thought, you know what, um, it's been a while since we've addressed uh, this. And so I thought, what a good opportunity. And I think it's one of those messages that is a, the, a dynamic of Holy Spirit baptism is the power and the working of God in our lives. And it's something that is an essential element. So even if you might go, well, I've, yeah, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty down with that. I'm all good. Um, we can also then sometimes lose perspective on the role of the Holy Spirit in our life to be the power source, to be the one who is actually working in and through us to bring about his plans and purposes for the world and also for us. So hopefully it'll be maybe some new stuff for some of you, maybe some uh, a, a tool to be able to share with other people uh, about these, this topic, uh, or just, a, again, a reminder and encourager and equipping to actually continue to walk in the power of God. Is that all right? That's good. That's all I got, so it's more than enough. All right, if we uh, look in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 4, I just wait for you to all grab out your Bibles. Hey, there we go. Well done. Top of the class. Appreciate your honesty. That's good. Ah, so um, one thing I was going to mention, I have five copies of, uh, of, uh, of my latest series on DVD. Now, this is just, uh, I nabbed it. It's on our website. But it's a sermon I did uh, a little while back, sometime last year, on praying in tongues. And it gives a more kind of comprehensive uh, teaching and overview of the gift of tongues, of praying in tongues, the difference between praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, all that sort of stuff. But I thought, you know what, I've, I've just burned five copies to, to CD um, so that you can hand them out to your, all your non-charismatic friends. <laughs> Not really. But you might go, you know what, I don't... Um, What's the internet? Um, you know, what's the internet, precious? Um, and you might go, "Oh, CD would be much better for me to put in the car." Who would like one of these? Yes, one on the back there. I'm gonna have to go through. I feel like I'm like a at a conference or something, giving away resource. All right. So, oh, who else? Would anyone else like a hard copy? Yes. Okay. One, two, three, four. Five. I'll burn some more six. I'll burn some more for next week, um, so they'll be ready for you to grab. Uh, but you can, if you go on to www.paradox.church, is our website under the podcast section. It's it's only a couple down there, and you can download it from there, listen to it. Uh, we're even on iTunes, and we have, we haven't updated our podcasting stuff for a while. Does anyone really love doing computer audio editing, uploading, podcasting type stuff? No, good. I'll continue to not do it then. <laughs> yeah. If you uh, if you have a if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, um, then uh, 
That's just really why we're doing it. We need Holy Spirit Baptist this evening. Hear the, clearly the voice of God say, you need to help Brad um, upload audio from sermons and stuff. Sorry? Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And this is speaking of, uh, so John the Baptist, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt, leather, there you go, around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Just a little side note that you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is such a healing thing. If you are a performance-oriented person thinking I've got to earn God's approval, you just need to understand Jesus had done absolutely squat in his ministry. He'd done nothing. This is the beginning, and yet God declares him son, and God is pleased with him. And that's you right now. In all of your failings, and all of your lack of accomplishment, God looks at you and says, you're my child, and I'm pleased with you. Amen? Receive that. Thank you, Lord. And then uh, Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Amen. Mark 1, 4, Acts 1, 4. It says, And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So this is after his death, resurrection. He's hanging out with them. And he says, Do not part, depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from then. Okay. So we get that. We get the promise of that from John the Baptist, and then we get Jesus reiterating what John the Baptist had said. Okay. And then we're going to get to in Acts 2 what actually happens. So who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, we understand, is the third person of the Trinity. But he is a person of the whole of the Trinity. We understand it's not just like Father, Son, and then that kind of weird spirit. Like he's a he's a person as as Father God is a person, and Jesus is a person. Holy Spirit is a person, and it's something that even when we call him, uh, like we call him Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit. That's his name. That's what he likes to be called. I think. But we understand that in the, this tr- Trinity, kind of the Trinitarian union of God, there are three persons. But they are equal in the way that they are, um, are beings together. And this is something that, if you want to, I've said this before, uh, if you want to, you know, win friends and influence people, remember this. It's called ontological equality and functional subordination. So in the Godhead, ontology is the study of being. So ontologically, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they are equal. They are one God in three persons, so they are all equally the Son. 
It's not, you know, father is first and the son is second in some sort of ranking of equality, but they are ontologically equal. But functionally, they are subordinate to one another. So the son does only what he sees the father doing. The spirit glorifies the son. So we see there's this working. This is a great picture for in marriage, that there is in marriage between a husband and a wife, there is ontological equality before the Lord, you know, between one another. They are equal before God. And yet there are there's subordin- there's functional subordination in a marriage environment. So in Ephesians where Paul says, you know, uh, wives submit to your husbands. It also says, husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ of the church. And then the whole paradox of the kingdom comes and blows our brains where it says to be the leader is to be the servant. But that's a whole other sermon. But you understand how there's something where there's equality, but there's a functional following on. And it's really important that we understand when it comes to the role of Holy Spirit in our life, that we don't just need Holy Spirit for salvation, for that moment of being born again, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit, His presence in us and through us every single day of our life. The life that Jesus called you to is impossible to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many people try, even in the church, where the Holy Spirit is being kind of relegated to the side. Now we understand, well, we know he does something. We don't really see what he does, but we just believe that by faith he, you know, makes people born again. But the reality is that as we'll read in the early church, the Holy Spirit, when he showed up, it was very, very visible. They knew, even to the degree that it shifted their theology when the Holy Spirit did something. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So what is the whole the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming to us? Well, we read in John uh, chapter 14 that he is the spirit of truth. Jesus, um, you know, I'm going, but it's better that I go because then I'm going to send my spirit, the spirit of truth, and the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. So it's the role of the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth. It's not the role of your own intellect. It's not the role of the Bible. It's the role of the spirit to lead you into truth. If you read the Bible without the Spirit, you are opening up yourself to error. Now, if you're reading the Bible and you read something in and go, I don't really agree with that. I don't feel the Holy Spirit is telling me to do something contradictory to the commands of Jesus. Okay, then you're also being led astray. So then it's like in any relationship, you need to learn to hear the voice of God. And part of learning who God is, is to read in the Scriptures, in the Bible, in the testimony of Jesus, what is God like? So when I hear his voice, I recognize it because it sounds like Jesus. So the whole, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, if it doesn't sound like Jesus, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit because he's not going to say something contrary or contradictory. But if we just take the scriptures, even as Jesus challenged you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like, you search the scriptures. You know them back to front. They would memorize before, I think before the age of 12, a young Jewish boy would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Yeah? Who's memorized the first five books of the Old Testament? Anyone? Like word for word. Who's memorized a book of, the, of the, anywhere in the Bible? One book of the Bible. A chapter. I've got half of Ephesians 3. That's the best that I've got. Who's memorized the verse? Who can chuck out a verse? Yeah, John 3.16, yeah, well Touch yourself in the back. But you see what I mean? Like, they knew, at a young age, they knew the scriptures. 
that to find. But Jesus says, you search the scriptures and yet you miss me in it. They literally crucified the one that God was sending. The answer that they were hoping for, the coming Messiah, they missed when you're standing right before him. So I just want to encourage you, if you're reading the Bible without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without hearing his voice and knowing that his ability to interpret that truth to you, to make the word, not just words on a paper, but the living word that's going to penetrate your heart, transform your heart, renew your mind, it's going to be lacking. And the reality is it's probably just going to feel dry and lifeless anyway, because he is the spirit of life. He gives life to us. He's the resurrection life. In the book of Romans, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, how much more will he not give life to your mortal bodies through the same spirit? He is the spirit of resurrection life. So he is the spirit of truth. He is number one truth center for us. Amen. He is power for ministry. Someone open up Romans 15 verse 18. I should have done that because I haven't written it down here. But it looks like I'm involving you with the sermon in some way. Yep, yell it out. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to wherever that may be, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So it talks about there the power of the Spirit, this ministry of power that the Holy Spirit operates in. So the role of the Holy Spirit is power for ministry. So it's very Jesus is very clear to the disciples. Now they've spent three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the very Son of God, seeing everything that he did, getting all the behind-the-scenes action, all the behind-the-scenes teaching. They would have known Jesus better than anybody else on the face of the earth at that time. And yet Jesus said to them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. We see how that's significant. The role of the Holy Spirit in our life, if it was good enough, Number one, it was good enough for Jesus to be baptized in the Spirit. So he has his water baptism, comes up, the dove comes and descends him, and that's his baptism, which prepares him and enables him for ministry. It was good enough for the disciples, and it's certainly good enough for us. It is powerful ministry. Acts 9.31 talks about teaching, exhortation, and comfort, the role of the Holy Spirit. I love Francis Chan in one of his sermons, and he talks about the, you know, the Holy Spirit being a comforter. And so he says that in your Christian life, if God has prepared to send his spirit of comfort to you, you better be assured that you're going to face some discomfort in your life. You don't need a comforter if you're living in comfort. You need comfort when you're in suffering. You need comfort when you're in struggle. You need comfort when you're in pain. But the role of the Holy Spirit is to release teaching, understanding, exhortation to build us up and to give us comfort. Uh, I've shared this uh, a number of times. I'll do a little brief overview. Um, in 2002, I went to a Hillsong Church conference. And uh, when I was there, I was signed up because I was always told I'm an evangelist. So I was doing the evangelism and community action workshops in the afternoon. Doing that. And I kept hearing stories from Catfield. Where's Cat's? Catfield? Not yet. From Cat's mom about the moving in the spirit stream. 
that sounds cool. I kept hearing these all these crazy Holy Spirit stories, and the priest was like, oh, no, I'm, I was intrigued. So I went along to that. They had a time, I don't know what they preached on, but they called everyone forward, anointed them with oil, and prayed for the releasing of the gift of tongues. And I, I guess I felt like I received it. It was weird. It wasn't what I expected. I didn't really know what to do with it, but I was like, cool, I've got it now. Um, but then in my kind of ministry as a leader, as a participant in a church family, it kind of wasn't something that was really encouraged or drawn out of me. Um, it wasn't just a normal part of church life. So every now and then, maybe in like a really intense time of worship, I'd feel you know, this impetus to, to kind of pray out in tongues. It wasn't something I'd matured in or grown in. So I knew I had it. Something had happened, um, but I wasn't really sure how to utilize it. Then I decided to plant a church. <laughs> <clears throat> that's what you do. And uh, six months into that, Wednesday night meeting at our house, hardly anyone has shown up. I was lamenting, saying, what is wrong with people? The very gracious and merciful Amy Tarlett said, maybe you're the problem. <laughs> and I said, tell me more. And, uh, and so they had, both Amy and Rachel had had journeyed in the dryness of the lack of Holy Spirit ministry in the church and been faithful, but they um, they prayed for Lisa and I, and they wept and they wept and they wept and they just and they just prayed over us uh, that we'd encounter the Holy Spirit. And I knew going to bed that night something had, had changed. It wasn't like this radical, you know, crazy encounter. I didn't feel it in my body. I just knew that something had, had shifted. And then that following week, uh, literally, I I. People coming up to me, people who didn't know Jesus, saying, man, you look different. Have you, like, had a haircut or dyed your hair or done something? But my countenance had changed. Like, my face had changed. I guess it was like my eyes had just softened. But God encountered me in that moment and shifted something. And God started to speak to me in a way like I hadn't known him speak to me before. And he would say that I'd baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So it's fantastic. So then we had a, you know, the week after, I went to a, um, a dinner party and uh, had a time of prayer. And I would start praying for people because I didn't really enjoy prayer all that much or worship because it's kind of like sing some songs, you know, get, get it over and done with. Get to the preaching, like the meat. That's the real, that's what church is all about, yeah, the preaching of the word. And uh, I'd actually gone through a season of like being like a crazy hardcore Calvinist. And um, I apologize for anyone watching this later. Um, but I was all about, you know, all about preaching the word and um, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and then we had this prayer, uh, this prayer time, and uh, and I prayed. And I started seeing pictures in my mind of prophetic pictures, and it was just we pray over people for like three hours, and it was just amazing. But it had just radically shifted my life. It had made me gone from feeling like I was confident, knew what I was doing, knew who I was, knew what church was all about, to knowing nothing, to being like a little child, which is um good, <laughs> except when you're six months into planning a church. <laughs> That's a little more disconcerting, but I was I was kind of happy with that because I felt covered and supported and loved by the people around me. We were on a journey together, but it has been amazing. I didn't have a theology of baptism in the Holy Spirit up to that point. If people had asked me, I probably would have had ideas. Probably would have been more that, well, you just receive the Holy Spirit when you receive salvation. He does what he wants. You predestined anyway, so... Yeah, that's just what happens, and then and then it happens, and I go, wow, I really need to get a have a theology of baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've met someone who said they didn't even really believe in anything of the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life, and uh, and then we had a prayer time with this person. They got delivered from demons. They had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I said to them, I said, so how's your theology on Holy Spirit? Yeah. 
And he's like, it's changed. Um, so it does. It is something where it's, it's an encounter. It's an unquestionable encounter with the reality of God. And so what is baptism? To baptize, the Greek word baptizo means to immerse one thing in another thing. So if you were to jump in the pool, you are baptized in water because you are fully immersed. And that's why you know um, a lot of Protestant churches, they do baptism by immersion, that full immersion, because simply that's what the word means, and we understand that that's actually what they did. Um, John didn't go and pick up a cup out of the Jordan and sprinkle it on Jesus' head. He, he went into the water, dumped them right under, and uh, yeah, that's what it is. So we understand that Holy Spirit baptism is like being immersed in the very presence of God, being immersed in the Spirit of God. I love, um, who's the guy who does Alpha? Nicky Gumbel. In the Alpha course, they talk, there's a session on Holy Spirit baptism, and he uses the analogy of like a gas hot water system that has a pilot light. So there's a small flame that burns constantly in older kind of hot water systems. There's this little flame that burns, and then when you turn the hot water on, it pumps all the gas, it opens up, and then this big kind of fiery flame pumps, and that's what heats up the water as it's going through. And he talks about that. It's almost like salvation. You receive the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit comes to reside in you, but it's like the pilot light that's burning in your life. And yet Holy Spirit, when the Spirit comes upon you, it's just like fire goes on, everything goes kind of crazy. And that was my experience. So I don't I don't look down on people. I don't think you're a super Christian when you receive the baptism or anything like that. But I know it radically shifted my life and my ministry when I encounter God in that way. And that's what my heart is for people. Is not so that we you know fulfill some theological uh, requirement, but that we actually are fully immersed in the presence of God because it is so, so much better. So we see we have then in the Bible water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism, and this is what they're talking about, baptism for repentance. So the people were coming out of the towns, out of Jerusalem and Judea, they were coming to the Jordan River to repent, to confess their sins. Okay, so they were wanting, it was a process of washing. It was a washing by the water. They were coming down, they'd say, here's all the stuff that I've done. And John would baptize them. They would come up with that sense of being clean before God. But he makes very clear, this is just the leader. It says in the, in the verse before that, that John came baptizing in the desert. He was out in the desert, but he was preparing the way of the Lord. He comes in the spirit of Elijah, it talks about. So he's preparing the way for God. So there is a process, and we embrace it, that repentance prepares the way of the Lord. Revivals in history have broken out because people have come in humility and repentance. Prepare the way of the Lord, and then the Lord comes, and radical things happen. So repentance is an important part of the process. But the washing through water for repentance, and we still follow that today, it's an important part of our journey. Okay, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of what Jesus has done in us, and we do it publicly, we do it with a couple of friends, but we do it as an act of obedience. And part of that is, as Jesus said, is to fulfill all righteousness, so to participate in what Jesus did. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Amen? All right, but then we go on, and it says, One coming after me, Holy Spirit and fire, and we see that on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So they listened to the words of Jesus. They gathered together and they were waiting for the promise. 
And it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So we understand spirit is the Greek word pneuma. But we get words like pneumatic, means air, spirit, wind, air, all the same word. But he comes in like a, a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled up, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them out. So it wasn't just a, once everyone in the room starts doing it, they just would all of a sudden be overwhelmed by this kind of foreign tongue. And we understand that in this instance, and it is something of, um, of a prophetic fulfillment, I believe, if you trace the scriptures of, uh, of humanity coming back together into oneness. Okay, because it goes on to talk about how um, all these uh, Jewish kind of leaders from all the surrounding regions have come together in that place, and they hear these guys speaking in their own native language, and they know these guys don't know my native dialect, and they're speaking in my language. So we see at the Tower of Babel, there's the uh, separation of the people. They tried, you know, the story. They tried to build a tower to heaven. God dispersed them, and they believe that they were dispersed into seventy different nations, seventy different language groups. Skip forward Luke 10, we see Jesus sends out the 70 or the 72 into all the towns and regions where he was going to go, preparing a way. There's the 70. And then, then we have again all of the nations coming back together at Pentecost, united by the Holy Spirit. This is again, not the main point of my message, but if you want to research that further, look, that number of 70 and what it represents. <sighs> So there are times, therefore, is, is the Holy Spirit baptism uh, a separate thing to receiving and believing in God? I believe it is. I believe that they can happen at the same time. But if we look at the scriptures, there are times when people were clearly believers in God. They were following the way of Jesus, and yet they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 19. And it says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So we understand they knew Jesus, they'd gone through John's baptism, they were aware of this whole thing and yet they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So does it happen at the same time? It can it can happen at the same time, but in my experience, personally and corporately. Now, I want to let you know, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'd been a, a youth pastor for seven years at a church full-time. I you know, stepped into them planting this church. I, I wasn't some sort of like wayward, you know, kind of whatever, whatever Jesus kind of Christian. I was 
obedient to God. I shifted my life and my family and things to follow God and where he wanted to go. I was really serious about laying down my life for Jesus. I believed in Jesus. And yet the Holy Spirit, when it came upon me, radically shifted and prepared me for ministry in a way that I'd never been prepared before. I had lots of understanding, lots of training, and I feel like I did an okay job in what I was doing in ministry. And probably a lot of people wouldn't have looked at me and said, oh, geez, Brad's a good, you know. Like, I felt like I had a, a measure of success in what I was doing. So in my experience, personally and corporately, the two things don't happen at the same time. That we say yes to Jesus, and we can receive the Holy Spirit, but that Holy Spirit baptism comes at another time. Bill Johnson says the Holy Spirit is in us for our sake and upon us for the sake of others. So we cannot walk in the fullness of the call of God in our lives without the power of God at work in us and through us. And that's why sometimes I think as well, maybe that it's, the, it's how God determines that timing of it, because he's like, I want to draw you out just to pour into you. He doesn't just take us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us to work for the kingdom of God. He takes us out and he, he molds us, he shapes us. You know, when Paul has his encounter with Jesus, when he goes from being Saul to Paul on, on the Damascus, on the road to Damascus. Yes, do you remember that story? He gets knocked off, his horse blinded, Jesus himself appears before him, calls him out. He goes from there and he doesn't just rush off into ministry. I think he spends 14 years or 17 years, and he goes off and he gets discipled. He goes and learns the way, and then he comes out and starts ministering. But he wouldn't do that. So I think there can be something where when we come out, it's like we just need to get to know God. It's a healthy process and a journey. Now again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit can help us in intimacy, it absolutely does, but maybe for some of us it's like, God, just, I just want some time where you're not doing anything for me. You're just receiving. Receiving as a son, as a daughter, as a child. So why do we pursue Holy Spirit baptism? Well, number one, because Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.36 says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay, step one, as an obedient child of God, pursuer of the likeness of Jesus, Jesus did it. That's good enough reasons for me. As a general encouragement, if you see something in Jesus' life that is not in your life, ask God for it. If you see something in your life that's not in Jesus' life, Ask God to take it away. That's kind of the basics of discipleship right there. If you want to sum up, oh, what does it mean to be a disciple? Be more like Jesus and less like what's not like Jesus. I just took something basic and made it complicated again. It's a gift. So again, he told his disciples to wait for it before ministering, and we should do the same. It's kind of like we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need it. We need it to do the things that God's calling us to. Otherwise, he's going to say, go over here, and yet we can only go over here. 
It's going to say, reach up to that part. It's like, but God, I can only reach up to this part. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're unstoppable. So again, maybe you're asking, well, how do I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, there are signs that accompany Holy Spirit baptism. And you may not like them. They are tongues, fire, and drunkenness. You! So this is what happens at Pentecost. Okay? They receive the gift of tongues, the ability, and at that moment they were speaking in other languages, other intelligible languages. Okay? The Bible also talks about, and if you'll, you'll get it, if you get the CD with the praying in tongues one, um, there, is, there is speaking in angelic tongues, there is a personal prayer language, and there are speaking in native languages that is not your own. Okay? There's different types of tongues, but at that moment, in that instant, they were speaking in tongues that were intelligible. They were speaking in another language. I've heard stories of people going out into the jungle, standing up in front of a village, and just start speaking in tongues, and the people understand what they're saying. So it happens. Now, whether that's your speaking the actual language, this is something that you, um, you know, learn in the Bible, because they confuse you with. Is it that you're speaking the language, or are they hearing the language? Yeah. We're going to be thinking that all day now. So there was fire. Now we understand that there was physical manifestation of fire on them, but we also understand that the Holy Spirit is, he, fire is a refining work of God. Like when you refine gold, you heat it up in the fire, all of the impurities float to the surface. It's in the fire of God that the impurities in your life will come to the surface in order for God to cleanse you and to clean you off. Who knows that it's in times of trial and struggle when you're going through the fire that all the junk comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. If you're in the fire, junk's coming out because it doesn't belong to you anymore. And also this thing of drunkenness. So they were, people came at, at, at Pentecost and they're looking at them and saying, are these guys drunk? Like, what is going on? And you understand that in drunkenness there's, you know, I've never seen a drunk person before. You know, um, I, I was too blind drunk to see them. But um, <laughs> my mum was saying amen. Um <laughs> But you understand that when people are really, really drunk, they, you know, they're kind of stumbling, slurring their words. There was, a, there was a visible thing where people said, now Peter stands up and says, these guys aren't drunk, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, you've got to wait until 9.30. But, uh, but they are, they're clearly, they're just clearly, there's a physical manifestation of them. And also we see that there was fruit then of powerful ministry. The Spirit comes upon them. All of a sudden they preach. 3,000 men come to faith in Jesus in one moment. It's a lot. It's more than Jesus had. Everything that Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. He, did, he, he put off his divinity and took on humanity. Now, he was equally divine, I believe, and this is, again, a deep theological kind of subject, but he was equally divine and yet equally human. He came in that human form, but he decided not to act as God. Philippians 2 talks about he did not count equality with God, something he grasped, made himself nothing in the form of a servant, being obedient to death, even death on the cross, the most shameful of deaths, and all that God may exalt him at the right time. But we understand that he, he chose to come low, 
and he didn't do anything in the 30 years of being a, a, a kid, of being a carpenter. He had incredible wisdom. The grace of God was growing on his life. And it was that moment when the Spirit came upon him that his ministry broke open. Is tongues a necessary sign of being a believer? I don't think so. So my, my answer is no. Okay. Uh, again, if you want to read uh, like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, it talks a lot about that. Paul talks about my desire is that you would pray in tongues. I pray in tongues more than all of you, but more than that, that you would prophesy. So if we're going to argue for tongues being uh, you know, a determining factor, then prophecy is a more important determining factor uh, for somebody. It's not essential for salvation, okay? but it is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, to desire to prophesy over tongues because tongues builds you up, but prophecy builds others up. Now again, the most common usage in my life for the gift of praying in tongues as a prayer language is personal edification, personal building up, personal encouragement. And I think of it as like, it's like training my spirit. You know, it's just, it's just praying in tongues. That's why sometimes, if, you know, someone asks, can you pray for me? And you might just stand there for a bit and just pray in tongues. It just tunes you in. It's the voice of God. It's the language of God coming out. It's truth. It's beauty. It's all good stuff. But it's tuning you in to hear what God is saying. But it's building up your spirit. It's edifying. I've had seasons where I've just done that as much as I possibly can. I know there's a guy, um, his name's Jonathan Welton. Uh, he's got a like online like teaching the Welton Academy. I think they're doing in Feb. 28 days of speaking in tongues for 28 minutes per day. That's a cool challenge. But just to see the fruit that comes from this big fruit that's come out of my life just from pressing in and praying in tongues. It's a beautiful thing. It's good. Listen to the other sermon if you need more information on that. But it is a sign of, of Holy Spirit baptism, not the sign of being a believer. So if somebody says that, you can just ignore them and walk away. You can say, I just realized that you're boring and I don't need to be here. <laughs> strange signs. There's these strange signs that happen at Pentecost that will happen in your life if you're following the Holy Spirit. It's okay. Acts 10.44. So this is later on. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has happened at Pentecost, but they understood at that moment that Jesus came for the Jews, came for the children of Israel. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was for the children of Israel. So they were going around, telling, that's why they hung out in the synagogue every day. They're, they're, they're teaching people, they're telling people about Jesus, but they're talking to Jewish people. Okay? Now we get to Acts chapter 10. And Peter he says, uh, while Peter was saying, still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And but the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So among the circumcised in the Jewish believers. They had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues and extolling or praising God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. 
Acts 11.15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So this was literally the moment for Peter where his entire theology shifted, where he thought Jesus came for us, and now Jesus clearly showing that he came for everybody. There were two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. God's people and then the rest. And all of a sudden he's like, it's not just God's people, it's all of us are God's people. Uh, if you read through in the book of Ephesians, Paul kind of outlines this revelation that was made clear to him that the, that the Gentiles were fellow heirs, partakers of the promise. They were members of the same body as the Jewish people. But God, again, as he did with the Israelites, when he first called them his people, he's like, I'm, I'm calling you out to be my people so that you can bring all people to be my people. They were carriers of the message. God just didn't want an exclusive little club. He's like, no, I'm drawing you out so I can send you out. It's the same for us. We come here, we, 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 we draw out and we draw in in order that we can go out and be a light to the world. So we understand that there was a clear manifestation that says there in that second in Acts 11, the Spirit fell on them as in the beginning. So what did that look like? There would have been tongues, drunkenness, praising God, just power encounters happening at that moment. Their encounter with the Holy Spirit in baptism saw there was a visible sign, a visible manifestation of that happening. So for me, it's like, well, that's my expectation. As I go throughout life, there should be something more radical happening. But we settle too much for come forward, pray a prayer, go back home, and hopefully something's different for you. Here's the Bible, be blessed and go on your way. But we're talking about the reality of God, the very spirit of God, not just coming and dwelling in you, but resting upon you. Now I'm saying to despise or that, some, or that people don't genuinely come, genuinely come forward, receive the Holy Spirit, all that sort of stuff, it's great. But we've set this expectation to be so low and so low on the manifestation scale. I know I, I, it might have been John Wesley, one of the Wesleys, I'm pretty sure, um, that they used to, they'd have a meeting and they would invite people forward to give their life to Jesus and they'd do all that sort of stuff. But then they had, a, I think they called it the, was it the witness seat or something like that. But they would sit someone down and they would pray and they would wait for them to have a witness of the Holy Spirit. They'd wait. And the person, they might pray for hours, two, three hours. And they'd be like, what's going on? Nothing. And they'd say, okay, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. Go home. Come back tomorrow or next week and we'll pray again. They wanted an assurance that the Holy Spirit had come upon this person, that they'd had a real witness. They weren't just being, you know, I'm feeling, man, I don't want to go to hell. Yes, I'll follow Jesus, whatever you say. You know, they, they weren't, it wasn't fear or guilt or anything. Like that. It was like, no, no, I, I want that. I genuinely want that. So, okay, we're going to make sure that you go away from this moment really knowing that you got what you came for. You got what you asked for. So the reason that signs are strange to us is because they are from the heavenly realm. God is okay with offending your natural mind. He's not afraid to offend you. Humanity likes things to be manageable and understandable. We like to put things in a box. So when a manifestation confronts us, 
We have the choice to be offended, or we have the choice to be intrigued. Offense will lead you to death, intrigue will lead you to life. Now, I'm not saying every manifestation that you look at, you should then say, oh, it must be God, I'll go after I'm saying, if you open yourself up to say, that might be God. And I'm going to be intrigued enough to investigate that, rather than saying, oh, I don't like that, that makes me feel uncomfortable, I'm offended by that, I'll shut that out. When it comes to manifestation, the Spirit of God and the pursuit of those things, you're literally saying no to the very presence and power of God coming upon you. That's huge. That's huge. I remember the first time when I heard someone pray in tongues. It was again at the Hillsong Conference, this latest set of army. So going, I was like, what the heck is that? <laughs> like, wow. And, uh, and that was the first prophetic word that I um, ever heard. Because the lady prophesied over me. But, um, and I remember it today. Is that God has, has called me to, be, to stand head and shoulders above over my family with my whole family. Um, but it, it did, it freaked me out, but it intrigued me. It intrigued me out. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. It's so weird. You know, I'd go and I was, you know, because I, I didn't grow up in the church, but I was at a Baptist church, and so it wasn't kind of the normal thing to do. But when I'd go to, you know, like Pentecostal youth rallies and stuff, and they'd have the pre meeting before, and it was just like, so like loud, and people praying. It was like, it was crazy, but I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I don't understand it, and I don't get it, but it's really, really cool, and I want it. But I just want to encourage you when you're seeing stuff happen, you might see someone laughing. And they go, oh, what's that? People being silly or, or they're, you know, kind of drunk and all that sort of stuff. And we can get offended by that sort of thing. And you know, like, what is that anyway? Where do you see that in the Bible? There's no reference in the New Testament, even about to the Holy Spirit of people falling over and laughing or even falling over full stuff. But what does the Bible say about the presence of God? In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And I ask people the question, what does fullness of joy look like? What does it look like? Give me an example. Because God does an outline and it looks exactly like this. It's just, <laughs> I'm so full of joy. Yeah, you imagine fullness of joy, someone having the experience, even a taste of the fullness of God's joy. What's it going to look like? Probably uncontrollable laughter, rolling around, joy, crying. That to me is probably more what it looks like. Here we can look at it getting all, you know, offended or self-righteous about that sort of stuff. No one here, but, you know, you got a friend, I'm sure. So if we don't understand something, it's normal for us to struggle to receive it. But the problem is that God's ways are higher than our ways. He reveals himself in mysteries that are there for us to delve into and discover. He opens up a door and he invites us into a place of discovery. God loves mystery. He's a mysterious God. And we've tried to strip mystery away from our culture as much as possible. Even in the Protestant church. At the Reformation, the the Protestant churches that came out of the Reformation deliberately stripped mystery out of the church. Even in in the structures of buildings, they took, you know, you go into an old, like a cathedral somewhere in Europe, and you just come in, you're just like, there's that sense of awe. Now, it is just an architectural building, but they were designed to, to draw you into a place and to have this sense of awe, the sense of mystery, the sense of the unknown. And we want to try and make everything known, and yet God can't be known. Proverbs 8, 17 talks about God loves those who seek him. I've got there, if this is, you know, for your friends, if a Holy Spirit manifestation offends you, deal with the offense in your heart that is more 
likely a, heart, a religious heart issue, and then investigate the manifestation and look for the fruit. If it's Holy Spirit, there will be good fruit. And if it's not, you know, sometimes we do, like, not everything's Holy Spirit. Sometimes people manifesting demonic stuff, and it can look like Holy Spirit. Okay? And that's why discernment is important, um, which was the original sermon I was going to speak of. That's okay. We'll get there next time. But don't negatively judge a manifestation on the surface level and therefore resist what Holy Spirit is doing. Because yeah. he might just come after you next. <laughs> yeah. That would be embarrassing. Oh, I don't agree with that one thing. <laughs> next week, look out. If he's, if he's merciful to you, that's what he'll do. If it's Holy Spirit, the fruit will be good. If it isn't Holy Spirit, then it's the person making it up or it's a demon. So how about instead of standing back getting offended, you actually step in and set somebody free? That's called love. That's, cool. That's what love looks like. Oh, look at that person. Ooh, they're all like, going all weird and stuff. Like, hey, come on, look at this guy. Like, I'm just, clearly not Holy Spirit. I think they're getting possessed. What the hell are you doing about it? I say, hey, how you doing? You look like you're demon possessed. <laughs> Can I help you? <laughs> Don't be a stopping spectator. Jesus didn't stand around with his disciples and look at a demon possessed person and go, oh, that's, that's, I've seen one that bad for a while. Yeah. <laughs> What did he do? Come out. Like he went and he stepped in. But again, we can be so scared. This is something that's so important to understand the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's going to lead you into all truth. But sometimes we get so scared of being deceived that we don't trust in the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. But if you're, if you're fearful of deception, you're already deceived. If fear is the driving motivator to your discernment, you're already deceived. You're already in bondage. And you need help. Because you're never going to be able to see the truth. Because a lie is keeping you bound in untruth. Fear should never be your motivator. It should never be your response to what you discern. And you might have a, a discerning spirit. You might have that gift where you can say, okay, that right there, I just know that that's not Jesus. And if, and if your response is to draw away rather than to press in, you've responded wrongly to what God is saying to you. You're utilizing the gift wrong. You're utilizing a gift of Holy Spirit to draw back from the very work that he wants you to do. Only a God made in your image will be completely inoffensive to you. Should I say that again? Only a God made in your image will be completely inoffensive to you. If God doesn't offend you in some way, in some measure of your life, either you see him beautifully as and perfectly as he is, and you've been changed into that likeness, so there's no disconnect between the two of you. Or maybe you've made him in your own image. And the reality is we all have, that's part of the process of our life, is coming to rightly see God as he is, 
not as our wounding or as our judgments or as our brokenness sees in us, because that's what we respond at. We have a belief system in our heart. We can read all the right things in the Bible, but the belief in your heart will always trump what you know in your mind. So it's okay, so we're not saying that, you know, you've got to scrub up right now. It's going to be a journey. But just to know that if something that you see in that way causes a disconnect for you, it might be you. There were signs of the presence of God in the Bible that were never written about before they were experienced. The Bible talks a lot about signs and wonders, but it never tells us what they are. It says the apostles went about, they're doing signs and wonders. Like what? We don't know. What does it say? So you're possibly going to see things then as the Holy Spirit's moving that you don't know. And you might say, and that's the thing, this is not to be reckless and to say, oh, well, this is crazy and weird and whatever, then it must be Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it might be. And look at it in that way. And if it's not, do something about it. So again, there's a difference here. I'll just read the scripture because I feel like it's important. John 20, 22. The difference between uh, receiving the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. This is after the resurrection. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you will hold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? And now this is the same Jesus who a little bit later on says, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. It's talking to the same group of people. Okay? So there is something where we can receive the Holy Spirit and we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two different subsequent things that can happen at the same time. But sometimes they can. John 3, 3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So once again, this is part of receiving the Spirit of God. But it's different to being baptized in the Spirit of God. So how do we receive Holy Spirit baptism? Luke eleven thirteen, 13, says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will their heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So step one, we ask for it. And we keep asking, and we keep asking, and we keep asking, and we keep asking, and then when we finish asking, then we do some more asking. He's a good Father. It's a gift that He wants to pour out. So keep asking. Get around people. And this is the thing. It's like Holy Spirit baptism, prophecy, praying in tongues. It's become like a weird thing in the church, which is so weird because it was so normal in the early church. So with that, I have to do sermons kind of in some ways refuting maybe some false ideas that you've been taught about this sort of stuff. That's weird. And yet it's become so normalized that the, the teaching that says that these sorts of things don't happen anymore. Oh, we've got the Bible, so we don't need the Holy Spirit. Ooh. Modern day Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. It's wrong. The 
Bible never prophesied the Bible. Jesus never said, there's a book coming after me. The book of truth, and it'll lead you into all truth. Makes me angry. Because the people are being robbed. In the very presence of God, who's false... Uh, false things. As well, Acts 8.14, it talks about where we lay hands on people, pray for it to be released. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they, he had not yet fallen on any of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So received, baptized, kind of used interchangeably here. But they they received the word of the Lord. They said, Jesus is Lord. He's done this. This is what's happened. They're like, yes, we received that. We believe that Jesus is who you say he is. We believe that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. We believe all of that stuff. Awesome. Now we need to get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's all I've got to say on that. Any questions? Do you have any questions? Yes, Rose. So what's it? Amen. Amen. Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. Now I've got a whole other sermon, which my wife doesn't like me talking about, but um, but understanding, I've taught her on it, on what is the word of God. And just understanding that um, the word of God is not is not the written Bible. But the written Bible is the words of God. But you understand that the word of God is a person. The spirit of truth is a person, the Holy Spirit. Like they are, they're, they're tangible realities. But we like to, to kind of diminish that, to make God in our own image, to make him tangible. And this is why, even as uh, in, in the New Testament, where it talks about, you know, the, the church that is to come will have a form of godliness that will be lacking power. Where's power come from? The Holy Spirit. Wow. So we're going we're gonna to come up against that. And this morning, I want to pray for people who have, who, who believe they haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And every one of you is going to participate. Okay? Can someone 